The pain and shame of pornography is very real. Healing is a process, it's a journey, but with God's help, a good Christian counselor, and a good community of friends, you and your spouse and your marriage can be restored. Welcome to another episode of No Porn Marriage. I'm Dr. Greg Smalley, joined by my wife, Erin, and together we run the marriage department at Focus on the Family. Erin, you use the word process, because mm. certainly healing is a journey, it's a process. I imagine for many people, they try to rush through that. How can they really do that in a way that works for them and their marriage? Yeah, it's first and foremost, recognize that your healing process is going to be different for each of you. I I think of a, a specific couple that I've worked with, and he was the one who was seeking pornography, and she was not. And upon hearing that, he was so set free from confessing this and, and releasing this hidden burden that he'd been carrying. She was just hearing about it for the first time, and her process seems to her to have taken a lot longer, but really, she's just catching up. It's different for each of you. So first and foremost, as you walk through this healing process, deal with you first. And there's no more excuses. There's no more hiding. It's accepting 100% responsibility for the choices you've made. This is your one opportunity to be 100% honest. You only get one chance at that. And as you are 100% honest, even if you don't give all the details, the first time around, it's important to let your spouse know, this is what I've been doing. And I accept ownership of that. I think one of the things that you said that mm-hmm. is worth repeating is that you're right. So for that person who has been struggling with pornography, this is something they've been dealing with for years, maybe months, mm-hmm. weeks. They've been ready to kind of confess. They've probably prepared their heart. They've spent time with the Lord, maybe asked some friends, what do I do? And now they're about to share this with a spouse who is now learning about this for the very first time. I think oftentimes people can be confused and surprised at the level of reaction from their spouse upon hearing this news. And so I think that's a great point that, remember, you're used to this information. This might be the first time your spouse has heard this. Absolutely. And it's shocking. And there's grief that, that will transpire. So there's two different people who are going to be grieving at two different rates and having two different experiences, and that's okay. That's why it's so important to surround yourself, both of you, with people who are going to support you in your grieving, in your healing, but also in your marriage. And I know for me, Erin, that what was important is I've shared my story about struggling with pornography and how kind of we've dealt with that. I had to understand, though, what the triggers were for me. Mm -hmm. And for me, when I was tired, exhausted, that really left me vulnerable to being tempted by something maybe that I saw as an advertisement or, or whatever. But I just I know for me, that level of exhaustion became something that I had to really, really watch out for because Mm -hmm. I was used to doing something unrighteous to deal with that. And I know for me, then the sort of the righteous way of coping with the exhaustion was one to talk about it was one to learn, boy, I can go out and exercise that tends to make me feel better or maybe sit down together, watch a movie. I mean, there were things that I began to learn and to do to cope with the exhaustion in a more of a righteous way. Yeah. Often I will actually have a client 
write out a list of what are those alternatives instead of seeking the pornography or something that is sin, trying to get these righteous needs met in an unrighteous way. What are alternatives to that? So if you do that prior to when you're triggered, well, then you have an option of something else to do. I know for me, one thing that helped me to feel so safe was to know that you had other people in your life that you could go to, that it wasn't just me. And it's just so important that you surround yourself, both individuals, both spouses surround themselves with people who they can be honest with, vulnerable with. I know there's groups that churches run for pornography recovery, and it's important to have that group of support. And as the spouse hearing about this, it led me to feel even more safe. Yeah, because I think what you're saying is that your spouse should not be your accountability Absolutely partner. Absolutely not. And I think that's the temptation mm-hmm. because upon hearing about my news, I'm sure there was some pressure to go, what do I need to do to make sure that he's not turning to pornography? Mm -hmm. And And I think we learned the hard way to go, you know what, that's really not your role because you can't win at that. Yeah, it just, it absolutely won't work because then what ends up happening is you step into that role of micromanaging the other person and it's not your job. Your spouse is an adult and is 100% responsible for the choices they make. Now, I can absolutely come alongside and support and encourage, but your choices are not mine. They're not mine to own. They're not my responsibility to go before the Lord. I can go before the Lord with my stuff and my sin, because believe me, that was your sin, but I had my own, my own sin. It I'd wasn't, like you to talk about yeah, some of that sin. It, <laughs> it didn't happen to be in the realm of pornography, yeah. but you know, what about overspending or shopping or I'm gossiping? No, you don't or, have to share I'm any of that. confessing everything now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing this down. To your point, it's so important how we walk this journey out. And right now we're going to hear part of a conversation that Aaron and I had with author Jamie Ivey. She does such a good job of sharing her story and about the difference that confessing her sin to a friend made. So what advice do you have for that person who has someone come to them? Um, what advice do you have for them? What's helpful to say? What's helpful or what's not helpful to say? What do you tell people? I can give you a personal example mm-hmm. um, of, I think I'll use this example until the day I die. And it gets me a little teary eyed every time because one of my sons, it didn't have to do with pornography, but it was a, a different type of issue that we wouldn't want them involved in. And we found out that he was doing this on his phone. It was like, I, I can't even think I remember the name. It was some kind of where you sing back and forth to each other. Do y'all know this app? We don't have them anymore, but you can. So you sing? Yeah, I can't even. Yeah, like you make music videos and then send them back and forth to each other, which is great with your friends. The hard, the problem with it is that you can also connect with strangers, Hmm. which is the hard thing with social Mm -hmm. media Mm -hmm. and raising kids. Whole nother podcast. Yeah, you can connect with strangers, and so I found on my son's tablet that he had been connecting with strangers and making these videos, and some of them were inappropriate. No pornography, but just inappropriate images for a ten-year-old boy. And I found these and I came to him and I said, what were you thinking? Why would you do this? And I'll never forget. Like, it makes me sad because look at me. I cannot believe I'm still emotional about this four years ago. But I'll never forget my husband like later was like, Jamie, you cannot do that because he's not going to confess next time. Because what he just got from his mom is shame. What's wrong with you? There's something wrong with you. You messed up. You're bad. You're dirty. 
And I mean, that was probably five years ago and it still affects me because I realize that there's truth in that. Mm. There's truth in the way that I reacted in that moment really made my son feel, and you know what? He had done something wrong, but it made him feel shameful. It made yeah. him feel dirty. It made him feel less than. Yeah. And so I've spent the last five years, let me tell you, that has not happened in my house again because thankfully I, I listened to my husband with his guidance and the Lord. And also remembering what it felt like for me when I confessed. I mean, in, in the book, when I talk about pornography, it was me having a moment of seeking out pornography in my home, married, mother to four. I was teaching at my church the next day. Yeah. Um, no one is immune. No one is immune. Yeah. yeah. And so, but it was, I went to my friend the next day immediately. I knew I could not keep that a secret. And praise be to God, I did not actually ever get to a pornographic site, but I searched my tail off that night trying to because we got all the computer things you know so I was like what words can I put in that aren't going to flag the system (laughs) but I knew that I was seeking out that and Mm -hmm. I went to my friend I knew I had to confess I could not not confess and so I went to my friend Annie and I confessed that Sunday morning I said I need you and I went into a room and I told her everything and her response is what is the response she looked at me and she said it's okay God still loves you Mm -hmm. like there's grace for that you're Mm -hmm. forgiven repentance leads to forgiveness like it's okay She pointed me to the truth that Jesus forgave me and that he loves me and he can still use me and I'm still a good wife and a good mom and all those things. And so that confession is so important. And now we're building in our home, besides that mistake that I talk about all the time. We want to build in our home a safe place for our kids mm. um, to confess. Because when you talk about pornography, I mean, the stats, I, I don't believe kids are going to grow up and not be exposed right. to it. Mm-hmm. They're going to see it. Mm-hmm. It's not and an so if. It's, it's not when, an if, it's when. Yeah. And so we, we parent it? knowing our kids are going to be exposed to pornography. And I think that is a mistake that some parents can make of like, oh, we do. My kids won't ever look at that. My kids won't see that. They will. Yeah. And so how do we allow a safe place for our kids to confess? And it's just what my friend Annie did. You look mm. at, they look at you, they confess, and you say, okay, we're going to work through this. Mm. There's nothing wrong with you. I like how Jamie is talking about kind of creating this safe place because pornography, it weighs us down. It made me think of Psalms 32, 3 through 5. It says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. That verse does such a great job to describe this heaviness when we carry sin of any kind, but especially sexual sin. The scripture does such a great job of describing what that experience is like. You think about the guilt and the shame. I mean, that, that physically weighs you down. It eats you alive. You think about the anxiety, the stress, the depressions. I remember my father, a guy named Gary Smalley, used to say that you bury every emotion alive. That sounded just like him, <laughs> how he said it. You do bury every emotion alive. And so as you are in that process of hiding and carrying that shame and guilt around, it weighs you down. And one of the deepest human longings within our heart is to be known, to be loved and cherished. Well, how can you be known if you're hiding, if you're isolated off with the secret? And so there's something so powerful about coming into the light and being known and being seen. Granted, more than likely, you never thought that you could be in this place. 
carrying this darkness around with you. You never intended for it to go like this, but there's something so powerful about stepping out that isolation is removed. And really from the depths of your soul, you're finally known. Yeah. It creates freedom. When we confess, there's a peace. I remember for me, when I finally was able to share what I was struggling with, with you, mm -hmm. there was a peace in Philippians four, seven, it says in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And there was a way in which not only did I feel more at peace, but I felt this protection from God as I confessed to him, as I confessed to you, there was a way in which that I knew that he was helping to protect my mind and my heart. And that's the power of confessing. Absolutely the power of confessing. But recognize as you're starting to feel better by confessing and beginning the healing process, your spouse is hearing about this for the first time. And it's shocking. So know that more than likely your spouse is going to have a huge emotional reaction to this, just like I did. Granted, I had to pull it together for the seminar, but important <laughs> to just recognize there's going to be fallout from the confession, but know that this is the beginning of the healing process and what an opportunity there is that lies ahead. We don't want to paint some rosy picture. I mean, this is painful mm -hmm. and this could get ugly and that's okay. If you surround yourself with the right help, friends, counselors, you can grow. You both can grow and your marriage will be even stronger. Well, that's really what Jonathan Doherty of Be Broken Ministries was talking about. So let's go back to a conversation that he had with Focus President Jim Daly. I love that Jonathan really dives into how to walk through this healing process. He also describes how confession is the first step to recovery, but it shouldn't stop there. Hey, Jonathan, give us some context, though. Uh, from that evening when you told your wife and, you know, she curled up in a ball, uh, how long after that did she decide to leave and separate from you? Yeah, it was less than a week. So a week later. Yeah. So that's why I always tell people, you know, confession is a great place to open the door. But if you don't actually start taking action toward doing right behaviors and toward getting yourself healing then it's going to be a very short period of time until you're just back into your old patterns. Right, and I really appreciate and I want to reiterate the caution that you gave to people if they're going to disclose in that way. You've come to that point where you cannot keep it, which is a good thing. But there's ways to do that that will be more helpful in the short and long run. Looking back on that, how would you have done it so that it would have been uh, maybe better for your wife? Mm -hmm. Well, considering the degree and the depth to which I went in my own personal addictive behavior, there was a lot to unpack because it wasn't, quote unquote, just pornography. I mean, there was a lot of other things that were part of that. And so, therefore, when I needed to disclose, it's not necessarily the same exact kind of process that, let's say, a guy who, you know, listen, he's struggling with pornography. He's viewing it every now and then. He hasn't crossed what we call the flesh barrier. And he's needing to disclose. We're both needing to disclose. But the depth to which our behaviors are going to wound another individual are at different places. There's still wounding there. A guy who's got to confess to his wife that he's been looking at porn is going to wound his wife with that information. A guy like me who went beyond that is going to wound his wife. I always recommend that it is so important for that man to go see a counselor. Because that's an environment where he can start to unpack all the pieces 
start to kind of get a, if I can put it this way, a strategy for recovery that can then invite his wife into that place. And then it's, there's no clean way to do this. So I want the listener to know that it's not like you can somehow get a magic formula that if you confess just the right way, your wife is going to be happy and there's everything's going to be fine. It's a messy process no matter what. But I do think inviting a counselor into that space to start helping you pull it all apart and put the pieces in an order that then is more effective can be highly beneficial. Uh, we, we talked earlier about how that recovery from sexual addiction, it can be a long process. And people need to understand that, too. You don't wave that magic wand after confessing and then all of a sudden everything is good. It's a process. I would think your wife, one of the things that she may have expressed to you is this breaking of trust, mm-hmm. which uh, is so core to human relationship. Uh, how did she begin to open the door to trusting you again? Well, we were separated for nine months, and I started my recovery not with any expectation that our relationship would be reconciled because she said she didn't want to see me or speak to me ever again. And, hey, up to that point, she'd never lied to me before or something, and she's gone. You know, I'm never going to see her again. So my motivation for actually engaging recovery was realizing I have to live with me the rest of my life. And I didn't necessarily like the me that I was living with. So then nine months later, when God performs this miracle that my wife and I realized that he's been doing things in both of us. He's been healing her. He's been taking me through this recovery and realizing we're becoming new people. We reconcile, and then we both realize, okay, we need help. And Because I did not expect her to come back. I knew I'd been a lousy husband before, so I needed help to know how to begin engaging this process. So to answer your question about trust, it was really kind of a two-step process, meaning the first fundamental step for her even considering reconciliation was whether she was going to choose to forgive me. And that is something that only she can be involved in, meaning forgiveness is very much a one-way street. Had I continued to just be a self-centered jerk, she could have still forgiven me because that's out of her own heart and out of her own healing and whatever she decides to give in terms of forgiveness. Trust, however, is a two-way street. And so when we got back together, she had offered me this incredible gift of forgiveness. But now I had to go on a journey of rebuilding trust. And what that looked like was simply, and this is going to encompass a whole lot, but really what it boils down to is pursue becoming a man of integrity, a man of wholeness, a man of honesty. That The idea of integrity means there's wholeness throughout. So there's not compartments over here that say, hey, I've kind of got my porn compartment over here. I've got my me compartment over here. It's saying, no, I'm whole throughout and letting her really see that. And then over time, it took about five years before she was willing to say, I trust you completely. Hmm. And you know what? It was worth every minute of it Hmm. to be able to regain that back. It was hard work, but it was beneficial not only for me to just learn what it means to become a man of integrity, it was instrumental in whether or not she would be able to trust me again. Yeah. How did she rely upon the Lord in this process? I mean, I know obvious for you it was there. You were building your relationship with the Lord, becoming that man of integrity. What was she looking for in her relationship with the Lord? You know, God is so good in the sense that he knows his children and he knows exactly what they need. She went through a season where she just wrestled so much with God because she said, you know, God— you are sovereign. You could have prevented this. 
why did you let me go through this? And she just suffered with that question and struggled with it. And he just was so incredibly comforting to her through that time, allowing her to grieve, allowing her to cry, bringing people around her life that were able to speak into her life words of of comfort and of healing. Um, and then God took her kind of on a turn that really when she tells it, I'm like, that almost sounds a little cruel because when God started, that was probably about seven months of our separation that God was just taking her through a journey of healing. Then he started turning her attention to forgiveness. And the way he did that was he said, you know, I have been your God. I've been in your life since you were five years old. She trusted Christ at five years old. And he said, how many times have you betrayed me and I've forgiven you? And she was able to look back over her own life and realize that was what God was inviting her to do with me. And I know that for some listeners out there, that will sound like, whoa, wait a second, time out. This guy was a jerk. I mean, he was looking at pornography. He was being selfish. He was having affairs. He was, you know, how on earth could a loving God, you know, put that kind of mirror in front of this woman's face? Well, that's why I say it was seven months before he put that mirror in front of her face. So there was a process in which he's saying, hey, just get it all out grieve, cry, yell, be angry. And I want you to know that I'm here to help you process all of that. And then we'll get to that point of forgiveness. Well, Jonathan is so right that forgiveness is a a long process. Mm-hmm. And I know, Aaron, for me, there was a part of just the reality that even forgiving myself that I had to give up, that this could be different, that this could be wiped clean, that this was a part of our story now. And I think that's an important part because sometimes people confuse forgiveness and they think it's about letting your spouse off the hook Mm -hmm. for whatever those poor choices were. Maybe it's forgetting about the past or um, forgetting the pain, but -hmm. really forgiveness is about setting yourself free so that you both can move on in which sets up for personal healing and growth as well as restoring your marriage. Absolutely. And there's something so powerful about that. But I think one of the most misunderstood things within our culture and especially within the Christian culture is forgiveness. So I love what you said about what it's not because it's not dismissing this as it never happened. It happened and it had an impact on your spouse and it has an impact on you. So it's recognizing that it is a journey that you're entering into of, of really forgiving your spouse, but you can't do that until your heart has grieved. I loved how Jonathan said that, that it took seven months for his wife to get there. And that's okay. Just giving yourself the grace to heal in the amount of time that you need. Aaron, as you work with couples as a counselor, what are some of the reasons why maybe someone can't find that place of forgiving their spouse? Yeah. What I have seen consistently is that someone will continue to bring up their feelings, the the issue, until they know that their spouse has fully understands the impact this has had on them. Not only understands it, but validates it. And that's a gift that the user or the offender can give to their spouse that I hear you, I see your pain, I see you, and I know that this hurt you so much. And it makes sense to me why this impacted you and hurt you. And ultimately, the spouse has then the decision to forgive 
And ultimately, the choice to forgive will impact not only the marriage, but the individual who is forgiving because it has a great impact on you. Your anxiety is going to decrease. Your stress level is going to decrease. Your blood pressure is going to go down. Your heart is going to reopen. And that's key. That, again, is my job. My heart is my job. And so it's a gift that you're giving, but you're also giving it to yourself. Yeah, you're setting yourself free. I know for me that as I've watched people struggle with forgiving a spouse, I think a lot of times that comes down to the fear that if I forgive you, mm-hmm that you will forget how badly you hurt Absolutely. me. If I forgive you, then I'm kind of setting you free to hurt me again. Mm-hmm. And that's why I know that you've talked about this before, but the people that you work with, I know a big part of what you're teaching them is that as an individual, here's how do you really learn to deal with that level of pain? Mm. Because if my expectation is that as my spouse, that you're going to take care of my pain, that you're going to keep from hurting me, it doesn't work that mm-hmm. way. That as an individual, we have to really learn, how do I begin to care for my own heart? How do I walk through this level of pain? Because I've watched that when the individual starts to feel confident that I know how to care for my own heart, I know mm-hmm. how to deal with this type of pain, there's a confidence there that they don't have to hold on to the unforgiveness. Yes. Forgiveness happens when I feel like, even though I don't want to be hurt like this, I now know what to do if you ever hurt me again, which is why we keep saying for both people in the marriage, get counseling, Mm -hmm. learn how to deal with taking great care of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And surround yourself with friends who are going to support you in your healing journey, but also fight for your marriage in those moments when you're weak and you want to give up because it's hard. It's hard. You've been hurt and yet you're putting yourself back in that vulnerable place of he could hurt me again. She could hurt me again. Surround yourself with godly friends who are going to direct you to God, but then also direct you back towards your marriage. Yeah. Focus on the family wants to help fight for your marriage as well. And we have trained counselors who will guide you through how to confess, how to deal with issues like forgiveness. Our number is 1-800-A-FAMILY. So that's 1-800-A-FAMILY. And be sure to stop by focusonthefamily.com slash NPM as a no-porn marriage. You'll find an amazing six-part video series called Discovering God's Freedom from Pornography. Nick and Michelle Stumbo talk with Jim Daly about some of the underlying issues that lead to a pornography problem and how to find the right kind of help. Again, that's available at focusonthefamily.com slash NPM. Well, next time we'll be discussing more on how to rebuild trust in a marriage. I'm Dr. Greg Smalley. And I'm Erin Smalley. Thanks for joining us for the No Porn Marriage Podcast.